Welcome to the 13th episode of the 1796 Podcast, a monthly podcast that features exclusive interviews and in-depth news about the Tennessee National Guard and the Tennessee Military Department. The 1796 Podcast is produced every month by the Airmen and Soldiers of the Tennessee National Guard Joint Public Affairs Office. I'm Lieutenant Colonel Malone. And I'm Captain Hall, your co-host of the 1796 Podcast. On this episode, we will hear from the commander of the 164th Airlift Wing, Colonel Brandon Evans, who will share his experience leading one of the nation's top airlift wings. We'll also hear from Colonel Corey Kenton, the commander of the 194th Engineering Brigade, who will tell us more about this incredible mission. And of course, we'll brief you on the latest and most important news impacting the Tennessee National Guard in our Tennessee Bluff news segment. But first, the 1796 podcast sits down with Colonel Brandon Evans. Well, listeners of the 1796 podcast, we are so thrilled to have with us today. I say have with us, but we are actually with him in Memphis. We are at the 164th Airlift Wing at Memphis International Airport. And we have with us Colonel Brandon Evans, the wing commander. Sir, welcome to the 1796 podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. We are thrilled to have you. First off, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be the commander of the 164th. Sure. Well, I, uh, I like to say mostly a Memphis native. I was actually born in Dallas, but moved here at a pretty early age. So um, here in Memphis, I uh, grew up high school. And uh, for me, getting into, I guess it started with getting into the military. Um, I was attracted by wanting to be a pilot and fly in airplanes. And uh, uh, living here locally, didn't know of a lot of options. So. Um, Honestly, I was attracted to the military by the desire to fly. And so um, that led me uh, eventually to the Air Force Academy uh, for four years out there. And then I served active duty uh, for about nine years, uh, flying uh, C-21s out of Andrews Air Force Base, uh, C-5 cargo out of Dover Air Force Base. And uh, subsequent to that, after about nine years of active duty, I happened to meet a lot of the Memphis folks as they were transitioning from the 141 to the C-5. Mm-hmm. So um, got plugged in with the unit that way from active duty and just worked out a, a Memphis guy coming back home. I uh, was able to get into the, the unit here at the 164th uh, flying the C-5 and um, worked in ops, uh, worked several of our, our operations offices and jobs uh, throughout operations, flight commander and, and uh, different positions just over the years. And uh, from there, just kind of worked the normal flow up, ops officer, squadron commander, group commander, and, uh, and then vice wing and wing commander. Awesome. And sir, you've been in the office now, and you've been in the chair for about, for about 10 months. How's it going so far, and, and how's the experience been as wing commander? Um, it's, it's been going good. It's awesome. It's, uh, I, I've, I get that question from time to time, and I'll say the, the leap from group commander to wing commander is... Uh, much larger than from squadron to group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that perspective has been uh, very interesting. Um, you know, one of my takeaways is um, you, we've always heard, you know, the people do the mission and how important the people are. And um, you just really realize it because there's so much I, I can't do so much. You know, there's a big learning curve of understanding other things, what other organizations are doing. And uh, so you realize the value of having good people in those positions uh, to take care of those uh, those different things and, and jobs. And, and so it's very important you realize that from this, this seat. So we often hear 
mission first people always. You talked about the people. Tell us a little bit about the mission. What is the main mission of the 164th Airlift Wing? So we are an airlift wing, uh, and that, that falls under uh, one of the uh, Air Force core competencies of uh, rapid global mobility. And just in simple terms, uh, it's the ability for us to pick up and move troops, material, anywhere in the world. And, uh, you know, here at Memphis, we operate eight C-17 aircraft, uh, operate and obviously take care of the airmen that train uh, and maintain and support uh, that mission uh, around the world. So uh, that's that's our primary mission. Uh, of course, as with, uh, you know, any other organization, you know, we have other support functions. We have our security folks and our CE folks that certainly take um, – take part to support, you know, disaster relief and, you know, things like that, that I think most of our uh, our, our wings in the state uh, uh, participate in. And the 164th has actually been in the national news for the past few years several times, mm-hmm. both with the COVID-19 response, the, uh, the Memphis aircraft were, were some of the first to bring test kits back to the United States from Italy, mm-hmm. and then obviously with the Afghanistan withdrawal. What's it like uh, what's it been like for the 164th to have such a national profile, and, and how have how have the, the airmen on base reacted to that? Um, well, well, the airmen, as always, um, react in an outstanding manner. And one thing I, I told them when I took command that I've always seen is um, when it comes to doing our core mission, we take care of business. That's our taking care of business, and our folks have shown that time and time again, whether it's uh, hurricane relief or um, – the, our primary airlift mission or even, you know, some of our local support, be it potential civil unrest. Uh, we had the uh, hurricane recently in Florida. We uh, mobilized our CE unit to, and in a matter of, you know, a couple days with equipment and gear and folks, and they were processed out the door uh, to go support that. And so um, our, our folks do awesome with whatever it may be. And, um, you know, is one of the things I love about this mission is that, um, not so much uh, being in the news, but the fact that generally when something happens, um, you need some type of airlift. You need mobility. And, and that's that's what we bring. Um, we don't generally fight here at our base across the country. We take the fight somewhere else. And that's the importance of airlift and mobility is to get that support equipment, the personnel, and whatever you need around the world. You know, we operate in combat zones. We do a lot of things that, you know, FedEx or a civilian cargo company is not going to do. Right. So our folks are trained on night vision goggles, assault landings, landing on dirt fields and strips and things like that. So it truly is a, a combat uh, airlift mission. So you talk about taking the fight to the enemy wherever it is. Tell us a little bit about deployments. What are deployments like for the 164th? Um, and, and, and excuse me, but you also mentioned this, all those support missions. So... Uh, they deploy also not just as part of the C-17. They may deploy as something separate. Tell us about that. Probably similar to to their other wings. We, you know, operated on the the RCP uh, here recently. Um, I think last year we deployed um, uh, approximately 150 or so members that deployed around the world, um, and then most of them have returned. Um, at any given time, we probably have a few people always deployed uh, somewhere, but we do have our buckets that we do um, uh, larger groups of our members that deploy. Um, we do not, uh, now as we transition to the Air, 
uh, F4GN construct mm-hmm. and uh, get ready for, you know, what may be ahead that could change. But uh, we historically don't deploy an airplane and the wing as a whole. Um, as uh, you may see mm-hmm. on active duty or active mm-hmm. duty C-17 units. Uh, so, yes, when our, our folks go out, they're not going together. They're going in different groups, and they're plugging in and doing a lot of those support functions. So it's it's our CE folks, our security folks, our uh, LRS folks, medical from all over, and they're just going different areas and plugging in um, around the globe. It's good information for our, our Army Guard listeners who, who we have quite a few of. They do that, right? They deploy the whole unit at once, and mm-hmm. so that is definitely different. And, sir, you mentioned a moment ago about the importance of strategic airlift as it relates to the United States' national security interest. Mm-hmm. Can you walk our listeners through what that actually means? Uh, you know, oftentimes when we think about deployments and, and especially civilians think about the way the military moves, they don't think about all the different components that are required mm-hmm. to actually get individuals and equipment across the ocean or, or into a combat zone. So can you talk a little bit about what that actually means? Uh, the strategic airlift, you know, it's the ability to, in simple terms, go somewhere in the country, pick up, you know, Army troops, Army material, whatever it may be, and get it across the ocean. It needs to get to Afghanistan. It needs to get to al It needs to get into that combat zone. Uh, and so the ability to do that over a long range um, is primarily what kind of distinguishes the strategic from the tactical, which tends to be a lot of uh, intra-theater, which your C-130 may do, a lot of smaller lifts moved around uh, in country there. And so, um, and one of the things with the C-17 is it almost serves a a dual purpose. Mm -hmm. It can also fulfill some of that uh, intra-theater tactical lift as well, as well as the strategic uh, long-range moves. So you talked about moving things intra-theater and from theater to theater. What what might be the most unusual or the most interesting cargo you have flown in the C-17? People generally find the, uh, you know, we do what we call banner missions, which are presidential support missions. So anywhere the president goes, there's um, several C-17s mm-hmm. and sometimes C-5 aircraft. So um, obviously the, the beast president limousines and uh, Secret Service uh, vehicles. I think a lot of people find that interesting. For me, I think helicopters, mm-hmm. my, my personal, I think it's just the idea of taking one aircraft, putting it inside of another aircraft and uh, flying it somewhere. So in preparation for this interview, we were reading about your background and read that you were inspired by both your father and by the Organization of Black Aerospace Professionals. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about those, those two inspirations in your life and in your military career? Well, my father and re- really both of my parents, my father and mother, um, they were just instrumental in, in kind of helping me stay on a, a path on uh, on the right track. Fortunately, I was in a good position thanks to them to uh, be able to get into the academy and, and take advantage of some of the other uh, opportunities that came along. The Organization of Black Aerospace Professionals, those were individuals I met. That's a group I still work. They um, do several things, but uh, work with uh, youth and, and try to get underrepresented uh, uh, groups into uh, aviation. And so for me, that was the first time of meeting any pilot uh, and to see people with similar backgrounds and uh, than mine was, was very motivational. And so got some coaching and guidance and, and some of those individuals were uh, former military. And so 
uh, talk to me about the military and the opportunities. And so that was important in helping me make my decision to uh, join the military and the path I chose. Sir, for our final question, we ask all of our guests to provide one piece of leadership advice. You've had an interesting career so far, and and we, we want to offer the opportunity for our soldiers and airmen that are listening to hear wisdom from, from leadership. So we would love to hear one piece of leadership advice that you would want to share with our listeners. What I've started to answer to that question, there are a lot of things that I think the military does a good job of, of speaking to on leadership. Uh, Things we tell people to groom them along the way. We talk about the PME. We talk about seeking career broadening opportunities and all those pieces. And I think that stays out. Um, but one of the things I start to touch on are just kind of the, um, and I'll just be blunt about it. It's the intangible piece that goes into uh, who's selected for leadership and in positions. And it goes back to the people. It goes back to taking care of the people. Uh, caring about your people and, and being genuine about it. You can have your PME done, you can have all the degrees, you can do all these jobs. But if you don't know how to talk to your folks, if you berate your people, if you don't care about them, it's going to come out and you're not, you're not going to advance or at some point it, it, it's going to hinder you. So um, that's the part as we have these, these checklists of, you know, do this, do that. That intangible piece isn't on there, but it's very real. And it affects people's progression and um, how well you do. So I've started speaking to that to people and encouraging people to, um, you know, under the diversity and inclusion umbrella, you know, they're talking now about emotional intelligence and things like that, which for I know a lot of people sounds fuzzy, but it goes to understanding your people, understanding our backgrounds and communicating with them. Uh, One of the big things we deal with in leadership a lot is a lot of interpersonal issues and it stems from that. And so the more we understand and understand each other, um, I think the better we can work together and therefore the better we can do our mission. Colonel Evans, that is fabulous advice. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us today on the 1796 podcast. We really appreciate having you. My pleasure. Thanks for coming to visit the 164th. Thank you, sir. In this month's Tennessee Bluff, preparations are underway for the Tennessee National Guard to participate in an international joint readiness exercise in Bulgaria. Thracian Century 2023 will include more than 170 military personnel from the Bulgarian Armed Forces, the Hellenic Air Force in Greece, and the Tennessee Army and Air National Guard. The exercise will focus on developing and improving skills for all three nations, including combat medical care, aircraft fire rescue, logistics and sustainment, aeromedical evacuation, and weapons training. Thracian Sentry is just the latest of decades of partnership between Tennessee and Bulgaria, made possible by the State Partnership Program. And in other news, the Tennessee National Guard is launching a new program entitled Integrated Primary Prevention, which specifically targets the prevention of violence and self-harm. Following a Department of Defense mandate, the Tennessee National Guard has created a workforce for the state that will be responsible to work with military leaders at all levels to address risk and protective factors. To learn more, please contact Mr. Jim Saunders at 615-347-7210. And finally, spring 2023 marks the 20th anniversary of the 2003 invasion of Iraq. 
Over the course of the war, the Tennessee National Guard has played a critical role, both in the air and on the ground. Thousands of soldiers and airmen have deployed to the Middle East over the past 20 years in support of the mission. We honor the Tennessee National Guardsmen who lost their lives in defense of our nation, and we say thank you to the Guardsmen, both current and retired, who served in theater. That's our Tennessee Bluff for this month. Up next, the 1796 podcast interviews Colonel Corey Kenton. Thank you, Captain Hall, for that news update. Well, Tennesseans, listeners of the 1796 podcast, we are in the Joint Operations Center at Joint Force Headquarters. And I say that, so if you hear some noise or something goes on in the background, that might be what you hear. But we are thrilled to have with us today Colonel Corey Kenton. Now, he is the commander of the 194th Engineering Brigade. Sir, welcome to the 1796 podcast. Thank you. And uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you come to be the commander of the 194th? Um, well, you know, I guess it, it was a, it was a cum- accumulation of a, a lot of different assignments. You know, you know, 35 years ago, my brother and my cousins joined the guard, following my father, my, my grandfather's, and uh, you know, I've had the privilege of joining the 30th Separate Armored Brigade. Uh, later, serving with the 230th Sustainment Brigade, uh, recruiting retention battalion, Joint Force Headquarters, and then and the 194th. Um, Got, got an opportunity to work in administration, military police, um, armor scouts, recruiting, combat engineers, construction engineering, and uh, with a battalion brigade and joint adapted staffs. Uh, I learned not to be kind of reluctant and step outside my comfort zone. Um, found there's a lot to be gained when you're going across different MOSs, different organizations. And uh, those experiences, successes, even the failures of those organizations kind of what prepared me for a brigade. Absolutely. So, sir, you took command recently. Can you tell us a little bit about how that's going and what that experience has been like to be in command? Well, I mean, so far it's amazing. I mean, getting to come back home to the uh, organization that I started in has is, is been, been just a dream to come true. I mean, you know, as, you know, as a commander, um, getting the opportunity to, to, to spend time with the troops is, is great. Um, you know, you know, the, you know, the only you know, the only regret you really kind of run into is not having enough time. You know, there's a lot of pl- of a lot of places that you have to influence um, issues that are affecting the brigade and your soldiers, and that cuts around, away from the time that sometimes you can be a- on the ground with the soldiers when they're doing their training events. Um, but uh, the, it has gone extremely well so far in 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 every area. So been been very tickled. The the troops have done extremely well. We've set some high standards on readiness, uh, especially in uh, strength management, and uh, they have come through um, uh, and done an amazing job. That's great. So you said you came back to the unit you started with. Just a little recap, that is the 194th Engineering Brigade. So what is the mission of the 194th Engineering Brigade? What do they all do? Well, of course, you know, we've all got the dual mission on the National Guard side. So on the state side, you know, we respond to a request for assistance to help with life safety, incident stabilization, and protection of property is the formal piece. But basically, we're here to help Tennesseans or U.S. citizens. And then on the federal side, um, it's a little more complex. You know, we do mission command for all echelons above brigade. So theater army, land component uh, headquarters, joint task force, um, we would be their engineer brigade. And we would have all the engineer teams, companies, and battalions that would fall directly under them. Um, doing everything from mobility, you know, helping soldiers get safely past the obstacles, or counter mobility, helping 
uh, and place obstacles so that the enemy can't get through to our soldiers, survivability, building things to help protect our soldiers and structures, and then general engineering, and that's infrastructure, building roads, bridges, well, um, wells, um, buildings, that kind of stuff. And, sir, you mentioned the federal mission. Can you talk a little bit about what deployments look like for the 194th and how that relates to national security? So many people think about the National Guard in the domestic mission, the mission we have here, CONUS, but what about the deployments that are OCONUS, and what, how does that impact national security? Well, from the federal side, we've done, we've had a lot of, uh, lot of deployments. The, uh, of course, the 913th engineers and the 269 MPs, uh, they helped us with uh, border security here recently. Um, our MP units have been everywhere, Guantanamo Bay, Arabian Peninsula, doing customs operations, um, Bulgarian and Romanian doing law and order and combat support. Uh, the 194th uh, engineers in the last couple of years did the uh, U.S. Central Command uh, theater engineer managing all the engineer efforts ranging across Egypt, Jordan, Syria, Afghanistan, and, and the rest of the peninsula. Now, in addition to that, we do a lot of training overseas, um, uh, and they're not uh, traditional deployments, but they're uh, deployments as in overseas deployment training. Um, and we've been doing those for years with Germany, Poland, Romania, El Salvador, Guatemala, Dominican Republic, Japan, Korea, and, and more. Uh, continuing to work now on new ones with, uh, in the Philippines and Australia and Malaysia. As far as the national security, uh, all these missions promote positive relationships with our international partners, and maintaining those relationships is crucial to the national security and our U.S. interests. So it's, it's kind of like a practice like you're going to play. If you've got that relationship ahead of time, when the ball drops, it's easier to, to, to get there. Absolutely. So uh, you mentioned earlier the different mission sets under the 194th, uh, the construction of obstacles to the enemy, the construction of protection for our forces, drilling wells. You also have a lot of military police under the brigade. I would imagine all of those are heavily called upon during a natural disaster. Now, it be that a man-made disaster, like a civil disturbance. I guess that's a disaster. Or, or a tornado or something like that. So, so what's that look like? How does that work? How do we respond to those? Well, you'll see 194th is deployed for DISCA more than anyone else in the state because we've been made perfect for supporting Tennesseans. Mm -hmm. Um, we provide water distribution, point and area support, uh, supply distribution, sandbags, operations for flooding, high water vehicles, debris, load, and haul. Um, we can clear routes. We cut trees. Uh, we run debris dump sites. We do law and order. We do civil unrest. We can run shelters and welfare checks, and, lim and we do limited bridging operations. We do really a full gambit of all the things Tennessee needs when things go bad. So our, our, our organization's unique, unique mix of MPs and engineers, logistics and mission command makes us a great asset for all of Tennessee. Absolutely. And I know you've done that recently in Waverly and um, on the state capitol and all those. Th those are in recent memory. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, we, and of course, the, the, the mission uh, in Memphis, mm -hmm. the, there, were some, there were some potential rights there yep. that we were helping to mitigate. Um, uh, the hurricanes and Ian and, and yep. Ida, our troops were, were, all, were there, the Waverly yep. flooding. Uh, during uh, the, the major riots across Tennessee, we were helping yep. protect Tennesseans um, everywhere from Memphis to the state capitol to Chattanooga, all over Tennessee. Yep. Uh, we've worked all the inaugurations, all the presidential debates in Tennessee. Um, 
Yeah, we just had a heavy role in anywhere Tennessee needed us. Well, I'm appreciative of that. And, and if listeners want to learn more about the, the DISCA support mission and DISCA's Defense Support of Civil Authorities, we actually had the chance to interview the team of director and uh, the director of the JOC uh, in one of our very first episodes. That's so, right. Uh, so a great, a great opportunity to learn more about that mission if you're interested. Since you pointed them backwards, we also interviewed your sergeant major, specifically about military police. Mm-hmm. That was the October 2022 episode. <laughs> That's right. So, sir, if you had the chance to talk to a potential recruit, let's pretend like there's one listening right now. We certainly hope there is. Uh, what's your quick speech to get them to enlist in one of your units, and, and what makes the 194th so special and the one that you would want them to join? Tennessee and the 194th, as far as the Tennessee National Guard as a whole, I, I mean, I, I, I try to pitch for us, you know, people to join and serve. I mean, you've got, what, 0.7% of the U.S. citizens are serving now, um, and 85% of serve or 70% of service members come from service families. Mm-hmm. So it's a very small pool, but everybody should take the opportunity to serve. And the good thing about serving with the Tennessee Guard is you can maintain your job, you can maintain your life with your family, and you can still get to support your community and your nation. Um, well, it's, it's also where you can be paid to learn new skills while you continue to work in the private sector. It's where you can keep your ties and responsibilities to your community and, and while you're still getting uh, military benefits for your family. Um, and this command, what we, we try to make sure we emphasize on to all our commanders is we want to make it as easy on our soldiers to serve as possible. So we work with the employers, we work with the family. If they have events that are contrary to what we've got in, in training, um, then, then we let them out of the training to go take care of those things. And um, when there's times that we really need them, like when there's a disaster or if there was a war, um, then that, that makes it easier for them to be there when, when we need them. That's awesome, sir. Thank you for that. I'll sign up. Put me in the 194th. (laughs) We ask all our guests on the podcast, particularly those that have some experience under their belt, what's your one piece of advice or leadership advice that you would share with the airmen and soldiers that are listening? Uh, Two things. So one, if you care about your soldiers and your mission, um, when your actions show that you care about your soldiers and their families and their jobs and their future, um, when it's time for them to extend, they'll remember that. Um, And they'll remember it when the time... when the mission gets difficult and um, they'll emulate that when they're dealing with their soldiers. Uh, The second piece is a good work ethic. So if uh, you work till the job's done, let your soldiers see that you're willing to do what you're asking of them. That work ethic is infectious. Um, It makes the organization more capable, more competent, and uh, more efficient. Just, Just better overall. Colonel Corey Kenton, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks, sir. Thanks for listening to the 1796 podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing, sharing this interview with friends, and giving us a five-star review. The 1796 podcast is produced by the Tennessee National Guard Joint Public Affairs Office. For more information, please visit www.tn.gov military. And thanks for listening for one complete year of the 1796 podcast.